1110 wbt Hour number two, the Pete Callender Show on this Wednesday, 704-570-1110 or 1-800-WBT-1110 or email Pete at thepetecallendershow.com or Twitter at Pete Callender. I don't have a text line. And Stan says, Pete, you're logical, so you will get this. If you're doing a good job at WBT, they would not impeach you. Or if you weren't doing a good job at WBT, they would not impeach you. They would say, you're fired. So, if Alejandro Mayorkas isn't doing the job, which he obviously isn't, why can't we just fire him? Well, he should be fired. But the Biden administration won't fire him because I think that would be racist if they do. So they cannot fire him. Plus, I don't think they think he's actually doing a bad job. I don't, I don't think they think he's doing a bad job. I think he's doing the job that they all want him to do. This is what success looks like for them. Right? Okay, he says... Um, how does calling the same thing by two different names create two different meanings for the thing? Um, well, I, I will tell you this also. It, the, the analogy is not great with, uh, with the radio industry because even when you're doing a great job, they still fire you. That's, <laughs> it still happens. Um, yeah, well, this is the thing. Uh, Mayorkas's quote, boss, isn't dissatisfied with his performance. In fact, it's quite the contrary. Uh, John says, the one and only time I saw Strom Thoyman was in Charlotte, 1996, when he opened for Leftover Salmon. No, I'm kidding. Um, when he was campaigning for Bob Dole, he was in a wheelchair being pushed around. He had absolutely no idea where he was or why he was there, yet somehow he was always, quote, voting. Yeah, that would have been... So, yeah, 96, that would have been the year... Was he up for election in 96? Because that sounds about the right time frame uh, for me when I was being implored to vote for him by my friends in Rock Hill. <laughs> they were like, you need to you need to vote for Strom. You need to vote for Strom. And I said, why? He's like a million years old. And they said, he's, a, he's an institution. I said, yeah, but he's a million years old. I don't even remember who was running against him. Um. I think I voted. There may have been a libertarian. I don't remember. I have no idea. But I just, I remember having this argument. I did not want to vote for Strom Thurmond. I, maybe I did. I don't remember. It was so long ago. Maybe I didn't, maybe I couldn't even vote in South Carolina at the time. No, I think I could. I had registered here by then. I don't know. It's not important. I think there should be an age limit on uh, public office servitude. You know, I don't think, like, you're not really serving the public, I think. when When you get to be that old and you can't even you know, make arguments on the floor of the world's greatest deliberative body. You know, I don't think you, I, I don't think you're doing me any, any service there. Now your staffers might be doing a good service, but I don't know if you are. Uh, Congressman Dan Bishop tweeted out uh, yesterday. Uh, it is official. We now have a church style committee to investigate the weaponization of the federal government. As I understand it, it's going to open with the Lord's Prayer. There's going to be a sermon. There'll be some singing and stuff. Oh, no, no, not that kind of church-style committee. No, this is named after, what was his name, Frank Church, 1975, I want to say. I played the audio clip where he talked about the uh, the use of the of the federal government agencies, right? These uh, And the he was particularly concerned about the technology that... 
the intelligence community had that would be able to be turned on the American public and used against us. It is, anyway, so, uh, so we've got that going. Um, they passed the resolution creating a select subcommittee on the weaponization of the federal government. So that happened. Andy McCarthy at National Review, he is advocating for the House to impeach Joe Biden over essentially dereliction of duty and failing to uphold uh, the oath, or sorry, failing to fulfill uh, and honor the oath that he took when he was sworn in in order to protect the country, right? Uh, And he has not been doing it. We have seen somewhere north of 6 million people come across our border and now be processed into the country, and that's just the ones we know about. And when when the Supreme Court gets done, I think it's next month they're going to hear the case on Title 42, but at some point that goes away. because and, and a lot of people think it's going to go away very quickly because it was based on, you know, the pandemic and all of that. And as Joe Biden said, the pandemic is over, and he has tried to lift it. So as soon as he gets clearance to lift it, we can assume he's going to lift it. Biden rescinding Title 42, you're going to have even more. You would get a figure of around almost 7 million unauthorized immigrants arriving at the border every year, a population roughly the size of Indiana, the entire state of Indiana coming to the border and coming across the border every single year. Indiana is the 17th largest state. A third as big as our second largest city, Los Angeles. But this just uh, scratches the surface. He says we also have to factor in the approximately 6 million illegal aliens, including the Godaways, who have already illegally entered in the first two years. He says we're talking here not merely about a border security crisis. We are leaps and bounds beyond past that. This is an invasion. Now, by the way, the left is very... uh, very upset about the use of this word invasion. They don't like this word. Millions of, uh, of people rushing the border in a manner that is illegal and thus hostile. Right, so what, right, what is the difference between the crush of humanity coming in and a crush of humanity coming in where one is an invasion and one is not? What makes it an invasion? And what McCarthy is outlining here is essentially a standard that if you are coming in illegally, then you are obviously hostile to the rule of law. You are breaking the law to come here. And that makes it, quote, an invasion. He also points out how remarkable it is that Democrats who never hesitate to describe a five-hour riot at the Capitol as an insurrection, yet they scream bloody murder when anybody uses the word invasion to describe millions of foreigners lawlessly storming the border with tens to hundreds of thousands more currently staging to storm the gates the moment Title 42 is lifted. There there are all these people south of the border, they're just waiting. Biden is not merely refusing to act, he's intentionally doubling down on policies that exacerbate the crisis. To compare... The January 6th committee convincingly contends that Trump is unfit for the presidency because he not only failed to respond decisively to the Capitol riot, but took actions that exacerbated it, right? Their standard. So Andy McCarthy, I think, was a pro-impeachment, I guess. 
he was he was not a fan of Trump. Let me just say that. I don't know where actually what he, his view on what the uh, impeachment was, but he was not a, he's not a Trumper. So, but he's noting here that the January sixth committee and and Democrats and media, but I repeat myself, they're contending that Trump is not fit. He shouldn't even run again. He should be charged. Right? He's culpable. They're referring charges for uh, for prosecution. All this stuff that he's unfit, not just because he didn't respond, but because. What he did exacerbated it. You can disagree with that assessment, but that's their case, right? That's their argument from the left. But that's exactly what Biden is doing now with the border. Is it not? Of course it is. Republicans poised to assume control of the House uh, are, or now that they have, already support growing in the, uh, already, there is support already growing in the caucus to move on impeaching Biden's Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, which has now obviously happened today. There is a good case for impeaching both Mayorkas and Kamala Harris. Mayorkas is not running his own show. He's carrying out Biden's policy. Now, I got a message here from Duke Powers. That's his name. It's on Twitter. It's a Pete tweet. It's it's not the energy company. His name is Duke Powers. And he says, Pete, it's hard for me as a conservative to sort out the endless double talk from GOP politicians. But didn't McCarthy say... That impeaching Biden is off the table. I believe he did. So what I found was that McCarthy said uh, that there would be no impeachment for political purposes. This would not be for political purposes. This would be for dereliction of duty. Would it not be? I think you can convincingly make that argument. Now, maybe every, uh, maybe not. Maybe you can't. Maybe it's completely intertwined and you can't separate the two. I don't know. But by destroying the border, Biden is destroying the country. Do the lines mean anything? See, this is why when I say I'm a lowercase l libertarian, this is one of the key issues I disagree with the capital L libertarian party and its adherents uh, about, which is the borders. I believe the borders matter. I believe borders are what gets nations and people into wars all the time. And and I think the libertarian view is like, oh, they should just kind of be open, free-flowing, and all of this. Like, I just think that that is not sort of the historical norm. I disagree with that. I don't think you can have a country if you don't have borders. How else do you delineate where the rule of law for one jurisdiction ends and another begins? And then if you've got people that are sending uh, others through their country, like Mexico is doing, they're just funneling people right through, right? At some point, that becomes a hostile act, does it not? This is what I mean. People, societies go to war over these types of issues, and they have basically since people started uh, ordering themselves into societies, whether they be villages or 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 states, nation states, whatever. He says, I understand how that sounds. I'm not engaging in the habitual hyperbole with which our competing uh, political parties customarily frame each other as monstrous. This is common sense. Defended borders are an ineliminable element of national sovereignty. In other words, you cannot eliminate it. A nation is a nation only if it has internationally recognized territory over which it ex- it exercises dominion and control. That is exactly right. That is exactly right. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. All right, so an update uh, on the state lawmaker who had a medical emergency while the uh, North Carolina House opened. 
gaveled into session today for the long session. Uh, he is fine. He returned to Brisson, uh, State Representative Brisson, uh, returned to the floor where he participated in the mass swearing at uh, swearing in. Sorry, mass swearing in ceremony. Um, the swearing at ceremony is different. That occurs a couple days later. Um, so he is fine, and he got a standing ovation when he returned. Also, House Speaker Tim Moore was elected by a voice vote, almost unanimously, to be the speaker once again. That now makes him the longest-serving North Carolina Speaker of the House ever. So congrats to uh, Tim Moore. All right. Uh, we're talking about this Andy McCarthy piece and, in general, the larger issue of impeachment, but also the the border, because Andrew McCarthy at National Review says that uh, the House should impeach Joe Biden over the security catastrophe he has caused. Um, and he talks about, yes, like the, the argument itself has merit, right, that he has he is guilty of dereliction of duty, right? His job, one of the jobs that he swore an oath to perform was to defend the border, and he has not been doing that. But also, there is an optics part of it. There's a comms strategy part of it, or political side of it, if you will. Broadly speaking, the country does not know how bad the situation at the border is. Polling indicates this. The Harvard Center for American Political Studies found 13 percent, that's it, knew that there were more than 2 million illegal border crossings per year. Not only did the remaining 87 percent underestimate the number of illegal entries, but more than half of them believed the number to be less than half a million. By and large, Americans don't know that the border is being erased. This is the paramount flaw with federalizing immigration enforcement that's been occurring over the last century by the courts, right? The duty to enforce the laws has been transferred from the people most affected by the lawlessness up to Washington, D.C., where they don't have to see it. They don't have to deal with it unless the governor of Texas buses a a, a bunch of people and drops them off right in front of uh, the vice president's house. It's also not understood that the crisis is occurring because Democrats don't believe the country should have a border to be enforced at all. I want people on the record. See, this is why, like, I want the debate. I want to hear the debate. I want to hear what you have to say. Defend your position. Unchallenged ideas are easy to hold. I've been saying it for years. This is why I walk towards the fight, walk towards the debate. I want the challenge, right? Resistance to pressure builds strength. How do you know your opponent's argument, right? You've got, or how do you know your own argument if you don't know your opponent's argument? You've got to know both sides. So this way you are armed for the combat, rhetorically speaking. And if you're going to make these arguments all the time that enforcement isn't part of your approach, then I want to hear why. Why do you not believe in a secure border? Then why won't you discuss the actual individual elements of border security? Let me go over to Jim. Hello, Jim. Welcome to the program. Hey, these people don't even believe in a secure city. Okay, no. that yeah. are running the big cities in this country. I mean, just just look at the way they handle crime and murders and and uh, uh, all kinds of mayhem in these big cities. They mm-hmm. don't, they don't even take care of it, Pete. But Pete, I have one more comment about the border and what you were just talking about and impeachable offenses. This guy Biden, who by the way has been in D.C. his whole life, uh has telephoned Lula da Silva, I think they call him, who's been in jail down there in Brazil, 
We're talking about the seventh or eighth, what I've read numerous times, largest economy in the world. He, he's already telephoned this guy to congratulate him. Okay? Bol- Bolsonaro, the prior guy, who they claim and his supporters, was a, a very insecure, fraudulent election. It was in Miami, I think, or southern Florida, supposedly because he had the flu or something. I think it's because he's afraid he's going to get incarcerated down there. I wouldn't put it past the socialist to do that. What One of his lead guys, I forget exactly the post he had, has already been incarcerated by the, the, the Silver Group. they got judges down there on the equivalent of our Supreme Court that are reversing or uh, wiping out the illegality incarceration of Lula da Silva so he can continue to hold office. Pete, if we don't do something about, and by the way, you talk about all the five or six million coming over the border. This is part of the reason for that. Right. You've got right. And this is what Democrats will argue as well, that there are countries that are going through all of this uh, political upheaval, right, going through uh, socialist revolutions. And that's why and the and the the fallout of socialist policy. And that's why they're coming here. Well, well Pete, uh, uh, Putin, OK, Pootie, as Debbie used to call him. He, he's already telephoned uh, Lula, make sure, you know, he gets uh, his foot back in the door down there. Mm-hmm. And, of course, Xi is probably just licking his chops right now, thinking about the natural resources. He can come down there and take over in Brazil, which they've got to depend on to keep supporting their 14, uh, 1.4 billion uh, population economy. I, I don't know, Pete. I see a, one of the most precarious situations facing this country right now that I can see since maybe the 1930s when we started having strong M, strong arm men all over the world come to power and the economy collapsed. Yeah. Jim, I appreciate the call. No, I think what the answer is, uh, Jim, I think you're on to something there. I think the answer is uh, let's, uh, let's uh, uh, open the border up more. Let's just have more people come from, yeah, just more. That'll do it. I think that'll fix the problem. News Talk 1110-993-WBT, 704-570-1110-1800-WBT-1110. Ralph, welcome to the show. Hey, Ralph. Hey, Pete. You know, I, I just want to uh, reiterate something. Uh, one of my son's friends, and we don't know what he died from, but it was an overdose. Mm. But the fentanyl, 100,000 people a year are killed by this drug. Law enforcement has to deal with it, and I mean, I've seen a police officer that just breathed a little bit of it, passed out, and everything. But uh, this, these, that should be a sole reason for the impeachment of both the uh, Homeland Security and President Biden and Camilla Harris. Right, because that's part of their dereliction of duty on the southern border. It's not simply just the number of people, and we assume there are a lot of bad actors or as Donald Trump called them, bad hombres, coming across the border as well. Um, but, yeah, there, it, there's a massive drug trade uh, and trafficking operation that's occurring down there. And, for example, there's a story at the Charlotte Observer. I was kind of surprised to see uh, the McClatchy folks. Uh, it sounds pretty xenophobic, sounds kind of uh, racisty. They're talking about all the fentanyl, three times the amount of fentanyl capable of killing every single resident in the Carolinas, 
That's how much was seized in the Carolinas. They could kill every single person in the Carolinas three times. Well, Pete, I have a challenge for your listeners, and I know you're a solutions guy. Yes, I am. You know, and I try to do it too, and I, and I don't want to uh, inflict confrontation that results in violence, but people need to go out and say, okay, if you vote on policies that destroys your friends, neighbors, your wealth, and everything like that, you need to think about what you're doing, because we have a lot of people migrating from all these places down to the Carolinas. We're in the top top five and everything, uh, and they keep voting the same way that they did, they fled from. I, well, so I'm not sure that's true. If, if we're a bunch of passive people and we don't debate them mm-hmm. about these things, it's going to keep on going. So, all right. So, first, I, I agree with the, uh, the uh, I agree with the sentiment that we don't want people coming from states that are then going to implement the policies from which they fled. I completely agree, but I'm not sure that the that the uh, the red the voter registration and the election results bear out that we're getting a lot of people moving here that are now flipping uh, the state blue. I mean, the state is still a conservative state. It's still red. I mean, everywhere outside of like two cities, right, three cities, it's red. And so uh, I'm not sure that a lot of people are coming here and voting Democrat all the time. I think Democrats, when they do come, they go to the cities. That is true. Um, but But the voting trends and the registration trends definitely favor Republicans. I think we are becoming one of the states like a Florida and a Texas where we are getting a lot of those refugees from these high tax liberal states that they don't want to live under those uh, those uh, rules anymore, those uh, and those uh, tax schemes and such. I appreciate the call, Ralph. Thank you very much. Good to talk with you. Uh, let me jump over here and get Penny on as well. Hello, Penny. Welcome to the show. Hi. Uh, hey. Uh, I, I was just in with this impeachment of Biden. I am so for it, uh, and I was just wondering if we, the people, uh, collectively would possibly be able to sue him no. on a multitude of uh, areas. No, unlikely. I mean, I mean, I guess any you could find a lawyer to file any kind of a lawsuit, but uh, people who are in elected office are generally immune from uh, from that type of action, uh, the, the way, I mean, th- there are already mechanisms, right? There are already mechanisms in place to remove somebody from office for dereliction of duty and impeachment is the primary one to do it. And even if you're not successful in, in getting the impeachment done and getting him convicted and removed, you are at least bringing, uh, to light all of the issues that obviously Americans in general are not being informed about due to a media that seems to be more interested in running uh, interference for this administration than in informing the, the public. Yeah, I understand all that. But it's just very, very sad that we have to deal with um, his lack of understanding and concern for the American people. Yeah, well, and I, and that's why that's why I brought the Andy McCarthy piece out. Is he, he and Andy McCarthy? I don't consider to be sort of a you know hair on fire, uh, you know, run around screaming, hysterical kind of uh, hyperbolic partisan. I, I think he's what he's outlining is he was a former U.S. attorney, right? I mean, he's outlining a case that is within the law that 
he knows is not going to be successful in getting two thirds of the Senate to convict. But it does provide a uh, it does provide a PR um, and and a comm strategy advantage. So, uh, Penny, I appreciate the call. Thank you. It's good to talk with you. This is from uh, I got a tweet here from Joe. It's a Pete tweet. Pete, I would love to talk to you about the fentanyl crisis. I almost lost my daughter last January to fentanyl. And magna cum laude graduate hanging around the wrong guy. I want it stopped. I've tried writing everybody I can. It's hard to talk. I become an emotional wreck. Please keep shining a light on it. I love my daughter very much. It's crushing my heart to see this going on in our country with this coward Biden. We have friends whose son also is uh, dealing with this addiction as well. And it's it's unlike anything. I mean, the fentanyl thing, I mean, that's... So I have another friend who um, I reconnected with uh, sort of within the last six months, I guess six months, maybe a year, and uh, and he had uh, he had become addicted, and he and I've talked with uh, talked with him about uh, you know some a little bit of that, just a very but he's very open about it, and I'm sure he would answer any of my questions, but he has spoken a little bit about it, and he made the comment to me when I was telling him about this other friend whose son is. Uh, and they told me his drug of choice is fentanyl, which to me, like, I don't even understand why somebody would do that. And my my friend, when I told him that, he said, nobody's drug of choice is fentanyl. And I said, that's what I was told. And he said, that's just poison. And this is from someone who was addicted to crack. And he said, this, this is fentanyl is poison. And I said, I don't even understand how you would dose that correctly because it's such a tiny amount and you take a little teensy weensy and I'm talking like like a third or a half of the size of a grain of rice or something and you're dead. And that could be mixed in with anything. I like I don't know how anybody like anybody who's ever bought, you know, an eighth off of their buddy uh of pot, uh I don't even know how you do any of that anymore. How could you even have any confidence buying buying any kind of street drug at all ever? Not Right, because all they got to do is lace it with a little bit of fentanyl, and you're dead. This happened. This would happen all the time out in uh, Asheville. People die in hotel rooms up there. People go to Asheville. They go to party. They score some drugs on the way out, or the, when they get there, and they go back to the hotel room, and then they're all dead. Three, four, five guys dead. Um, fentanyl-related overdoses increased thirty percent from 2020. 3,163 North Carolinians died from the drug in 2021. It's almost 3,200 North Carolinians. Agents in the Carolinas last year helped seize 222 pounds of fentanyl. The majority of this was from North Carolina, said Michael Prado, uh, versus South Carolina. Like, that's where most of it was uh, was seized in, in our state versus South Carolina. Uh, that, according to the special agent in charge at Homeland Security Investigations in Charlotte, One cartel is a major player in the trafficking of fentanyl in this region. Most of the cases in Charlotte metro area involving the trafficking of fentanyl are focused on the illicit activities of the cartel Jalisco, new generation cartel. That's a Mexican-based transnational drug trafficking organization with a well-established network in the Carolinas. Previously, small amounts of fentanyl were smuggled into the U.S., predominantly from China via mail and private shipping services. The fentanyl making its way to the Carolinas often originates from clandestine labs run by illegal organizations in Mexico. 
The DEA has tracked most fentanyl smuggling to illegal groups in China with illegal cartels in Mexico and India also producing large quantities of the drug. That is from a piece by Callie Cox at the Charlotte Observer. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Talking about the border, talking about impeachment, talking about dereliction of duty. Look, I don't I have I don't have any doubt that an impeachment against the president or the Department of Homeland Security secretary, it's they're not gonna get convicted in the Senate. It's run by Democrats. So this is, it's not gonna happen. The point is to elevate it. Well, first off, I mean, it, they should be impeached because of the I mean the merits of the argument stand, but I understand politics, so they will ignore the merits of the arguments. They will say, oh, he's doing his best. Oh, it doesn't matter that, you know, you've got 6 million people crossing the border. You, it, it, that doesn't matter. You know, 8,800 a day after uh, you, you count the gotaways. So I, I, I recognize it's not going to go anywhere, but people need to become aware of what exactly is occurring because if you get your news off of talk radio or uh, Fox or OAN or Newsmax or whatever, you're getting your news from right-leaning publications or, or uh, programs or platforms that you're going to know about this stuff. If you're getting it from the alphabets, right, you're not. You're not seeing this stuff. It's not being reported on a regular basis. Yes, they covered that he went down to the border, and lo and behold, no migrants. We're at the migrant center that he showed up at. Right? Amazing. What are, what are the odds? So the, the one time when all the media is there to do a story on how bad the border is that Joe Biden is now going to it, they, they conveniently found a time and place at a migrant shelter place where there were no migrants, despite the fact that the town is getting a, a thousand of them a day. Okay. Yeah, I, I believe that. Jackie, welcome to the program. Hello, Jackie. Hey, hey Pete. How you doing, buddy? Hey, I'm good. What's up? Hey, hey man, I caught the tail end of your, your comments regarding, regarding fentanyl. Yeah. And my comment is, you know, if, if, if there's a market for something, there's always going to be a supplier. So, so what do you think is driving this excessive use of fentanyl with all the bad publicity that we've heard about and how dangerous it is? People still continue to use it. So if, if, there's, if there's users, there's going to be a supplier where they comes from out of the country or in the country. Somebody's going to figure out a way to supply it. So a lot of them get hooked first because of other drugs, right? Opioids, prescription sure. drugs, right? That's where they usually get hooked on it. Then they kind of go to heroin uh, or fentanyl because fentanyl is such a high concentration of the high. Well, you get the high off of much smaller amounts of fentanyl. So it's a very economic thing to throw into any drug in order to boost that drug. And that's how people end up getting hooked on the fentanyl. And when people are on fentanyl or any drug like this, you have to understand, and this is what my, my buddy told me, he said, like, there is no thought for tomorrow. They're like, the, right. the idea, every single day that they go and they score, they expect to die. It, but it, even that doesn't matter to them. What matters is the high. And so trying to approach it from a mindset of, well, don't you know that this is bad? Yes, they know it's bad, but they don't care. They're not planning on tomorrow. If they wake up tomorrow, they're like, oh, okay, I guess I got to go, you know, find something to eat and get some money and score, and maybe I'll be dead tonight. And that's but, it. But, but from that perspective, that means if, if fentanyl was not available, 
they would find a, an alternative drug. No, maybe, yeah. So, so we're in a, we're an addictive society. So if, if it's not fentanyl, it's going to be something else. So what's your point? Um, I, I don't know how we how we solve the problem. You give people you know, purpose, huh? I'm sorry. You give people purpose. People turn. I know. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Yeah, people that. people turn to uh, to substances because they're trying to kill off something that they you know don't want to feel or think about, right? That, I agree with you on that. Yeah. So if you, if people have purpose, they're living their life with intention and with uh, with you know with an idea that this is why I'm here and these are the people I need to be here for. You take that away from and look, COVID did a great job of of taking that from people. Uh, a lot of the stuff that we see uh, being taught to kids in schools and stuff, this lack of purpose is celebrated now, and uh, you know it's particularly among young boys, and that's who's getting addicted. Right, the the majority of these cases, a lot like the homeless population, the addicted uh, homeless population, particularly men. Right, they lack hey, but, purpose. Hey, I'll just a little different. But can you imagine if we were to solve our drug, our, our illegal drug problem tomorrow, the impact it would have on our economy and our society? Mm. Yeah, I, well, I don't think it ever gets solved. I think there are better ways to quote fight the war on drugs, which is not a war on drugs; it's a war on people. Um, there's a better way to, I think there's a better way to go about it. Um, but you definitely want to restrict the free flow of it coming in at the border as best as you can. Absolutely. I agree with that. Yeah. I agree with that. But then we all have to, we all have to be aware that if it's not coming in all across the border, that somebody's going to do it internally also. And sometimes we lose sight of that. Sure. That there are producers in this country also. Oh yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. We but gotta, yeah, and then you would but you would be able to crack down you'd be able to crack down, investigate, you'd have more uh more ability to root that out if that's the policy direction you go, right? You got more ability to root that out locally inside our borders, as much as they are, right, than you would going into another nation and telling that other country, hey, you gotta do something to stop our problem. It is a demand side problem, absolutely. Jackie, I appreciate the call. I, I look I'm not uh I, I'm not making an argument for, you know, uh, tough on drugs, tough on crime. I'm not making that kind of an argument. Like I am the lowercase L libertarian. I recognize it's demand that drives a lot of the supply, and people are going to bad actors are going to fill that that vacuum. I totally get it. That doesn't mean that you make it easy, right? And from a policy point of view, you try to help on the back end the people that are hooked. You do it, but you don't do it the ways we're doing it right now, which is to basically say go trade drugs in an open air market you know, among homeless and psychopaths.